Morning, church. You have your Bibles, if you would. Get them to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You and I both know that in uh, many churches, deacons have less than a stellar reputation. We even have a former Baptist school whose mascot is the demon deacons. That should tell you something right there, shouldn't it? Here's all I know. All the trouble my kids ever got in, they were led into it by deacons' kids. That's all I can tell you. Well, amen. Well, there are, in reality, there are nightmares in some churches because the deacon ministry is just wrong. I don't know if um, I've ever said this aloud, but I'll go ahead and say it now. When I go into a church, the first thing I look at is the deacon's ministry. If I can't get that straightened out, there is really not much hope for anything else I might do. And so if you guys, uh, those of you that are in deacon's ministry now, if you look back, you probably realize that was my first point of attack. Let's get this straightened out. Let's get it fixed. And uh, I would say that uh, it's a blessing. I was telling my wife um, this week, um, there's no dread for me going into a deacon's meeting at our church. It's a blessing. uh, It's a joy. And um, I know this year, uh, Terry Taylor is our new chairman. So that will bring on a different challenge, but we'll we'll go with him. Brother Terry is a blessing. Jim was a great blessing last uh, year as our chairman. And so... Uh, it's just been a joy to, to be able to work with the deacons here at our church. They actually work and serve. And, um, and so I wanted to brag on them a little bit. But uh, when we look at the scripture, we're given instruction because we constantly have to have instruction in order to keep from just doing dumb. It only takes about two bad deacons to really give your church heartache. And um, so problems in a church can't all be blamed on deacons, that's for sure. The blame lies at the feet of the congregation that elects deacons because of some just very wrong reasons. One, he's my cousin. Two, maybe if we make him a deacon, he'll be faithful. I mean, I've heard all of these things. And, um, and so, you know, he's a, here's another one. He's uh, well-known in the community. He's a businessman. Wow. That's a good idea. Um, I was uh, on staff at a church once, and um, I went to a deacon's meeting, and I'd been ministering there about a year and was introduced to one of our deacons. He had never attended worship service since I'd been there. But he came to deacon's meeting. Finally, I just told the pastor, brother, as long as you allow that to go on, his church will never grow. It'll never be what the Lord wants it to be. But it takes courage because those guys get, they dig in. I went to a church one time, I was a uh, pastor, the new pastor there, and uh, wow, I think we had about three lost men on that group. I did baptize one of them later, 
wow, never seen anything like it. But um, praise God, and uh, my ministry as pastor, we've always seen victories in the deacon ministry. We've always seen the Lord just come in and do a work among our guys. And those that should not have been there, they got off of there. And those that were there, that should be there, they got their hearts rejuvenated and right with the Lord. And uh, it makes all the difference in a congregation. You have no idea the peace that we have internally here at our church because you have good deacons. And uh, so we just praise the Lord. I've been in church where it's bad. It's really bad. And, uh, but I just want to let you know, you, you just really... Um, you know, when you tell your kids things about uh, don't do this, it'll bring great heartache. They've never experienced it, so they don't know what that is. Well, listen, maybe you've never experienced it. Just trust me on this. It's a blessing what you have uh, in your deacon ministry here. Now, I said all the nice things I'm going to say about them. Um, I guess the point of this sermon is this. Um, if you're going to elect a hog to be a deacon, just remember, hogs can't look up to see where the acorns come from. That's all I can tell you. That's folk wisdom from Appalachia. What is a deacon? That's what we want to know. Do you even need deacons? Should you even have them? What should you look for in a man before you elect him to that office in your church that has such influence? Now, deacons lead by serving. Pastors and elders serve by leading. That's the difference. Deacons don't run the church. I praise God that there's been more than one occasion where one of our deacons would say, now men, that's outside the scope of what deacons ought to be dealing with. Deacons don't control the pastor. I do get advice from deacons, though. I, my ear is open to them. My phone is on for them. My door is open for them at all times because God has given the guys that we have a measure of wisdom. They have their ear to the ground as far as that's concerned in our congregation. They're ministering and they know people. And so as a pastor, they're indispensable. But what are they supposed to be doing and what are they supposed to be like? Well, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't give a lot of information about what deacons do. It does give very specific details on what the deacon ought to be. And so I want us to look at that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And uh, I'm, I'm involved in a, a coaching network to help churches to be revitalized. And uh, that can mean a, a number of things. And one of the things I haven't read yet uh, of all the experts writing the books on such topics is this issue. Can you get your deacon ministry right? And I believe this is fundamental to revitalizing a church and redirecting it toward the Great Commission and the glory of Jesus. So let's remind ourselves here through the Spirit of God's work, through His Word, what deacons ought to be. And I'm calling this deacons dignified servants. First of all, in verse 8 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. This is a church manual, by the way. 1 Timothy is. And so you see here the deacon's character in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
So the deacon's character, you have one thing they ought to be and then some things they ought not to be. So it speaks of his temperament. It says that the deacon is to be dignified. You see that word? There should be a dignity about his character that points people to God just by his presence in the room and by his conversation. Now, there's nothing wrong with some good humor, and it doesn't mean that deacons are to be humorless. But there is something wrong with a man who does not take godly things seriously. And there's something wrong with a man that doesn't walk on just a little different plane from the average church member. The deacon ought to be one who sets an example in dignity. And looking at his life, it should be one of honor and dignity and respect. He needs to live his life that way. Now, there are people that have this mantra for their life. I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, they do. They're lying. Everybody cares what people think. But the question is, what do you want them to think? They're going to think something one way or the other. What do you want them to think? That you want them to think this about your life, that you walk close with Jesus. And it has brought an air of dignity and an air of honor to your life. So deacon, be dignified. Be dignified. There's something about being a pastor. Is also there's the dignity that's needed in the pastoral ministry. Be dignified. Say, so, well, you think you're better than other people. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. It means act like you hold the office. Act like it. So you won't see me on Twitter saying stupid things to people. You just don't. You, just, you don't go around town acting like you don't have good sense. You just don't. And so you want to have a dignified demeanor. So his temperament there. What about his tongue? He says not double-tongued. This person doesn't say one thing to what people want to hear in one situation and then something else in a different situation. But instead, the deacon is to say what is right, period. The deacon should know the scriptures and know the word of God well enough that they can say, this is what God says about the situation. Sometimes people in counseling, whether it's deacons or whether it's staff, they think they have to be really wise in order to counsel people. You don't have to be wise. Just know the Bible. Just give them the scriptures. We're not psychotherapists. We're soul therapists. And we're here to help minister to their soul. And so a deacon should know the word of God and be able to speak what God has said not giving his opinion one way and then the other. Now, is a person entitled to change his mind? Of course he is. Sometimes you say one thing and you're mistaken. You're like, well, I should have said it this way. And it's okay. That's, that's fine. Let people know, hey, I was wrong the way I said it. And I should have said it this way. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what this is speaking of. This is speaking of someone trying to gain the popularity of people by telling them what they want to hear. Deacon, you cannot be double-tongued. You must stand by the word of God. And then, as far as his character, his temptations, not addicted to wine. Listen, being a deacon would tempt you to want to be addicted to wine. They hear things and they know things that no person ought to know about another individual. Listen, I appreciate the information that you give me about your surgeries, but there are some things about you I do not need to know. And our deacons know things. 
Our deacons deal with things even in our community that about drive you crazy. So not being addicted to wine. Now, uh, some of you are now, you're greedy there, like, well, whoa, boy, we get to talk about drinking wine again. Is that your only issue in life? How pitiful you must be that you will swallow a camel and strain at a gnat. So, if you want information on this particular thing, I would point you to John MacArthur on that issue. And his commentary is pretty good. So, if you want information on that, then fine. Here is the bottom line. There is a wide difference between that particular statement and what goes on in the liquor industry trying to addict people and intoxicate people. In Jesus' day, drinking water, hard to come by. If you've never had bad water, I've had it. If you want me to tell you something you don't want to know about going to the restroom, I can. It's repeat action when you get bad water, just put it that way. I had to eat charcoal. Bad water is bad. I think next time I'd rather be snake bit. So in order to help kill some of the stuff in the water, they would add some alcoholic wine to the water. Yes, purify. It's almost like putting chlorine in it. And so they would put, so it's 10 part water to one part alcohol. Did you know that NyQuil is a higher proof than that? And so what it's saying here is about gluttony, about drinking so much, you'd have to sit there all day to get a buzz off of this stuff. And so you're talking about a, a, a deacon that piddles away his time, sitting around, engorging his gut with food and wine. That's not a representative of the Lord Jesus. This is why that it's said this way here, but then also there are the prohibitions in the scripture against strong drink. And so this person has an addiction problem and because this kind of wine was permissible, so they're like, okay, we'll just drink this until we're just out of our mind. How much of it would you have to drink? All day. And then also he's not greedy for dishonest gain. Let me tell you something. There is no sin in being rich. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Peter and John were supposedly lowly fishermen. They had their own business, by the way. There, there's nothing wrong with that. There were wealthy women that supported the ministry of Jesus. Look it up in Luke. So there's nothing wrong with being rich. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Lydia was rich. So there's nothing wrong with being rich. Sometimes people work hard, and by the providence of God, it all comes together, and they make a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with that. I had a deacon once, and he was a millionaire, and he always felt guilty. And I told him, brother, your spiritual gift is the gift of King Midas. You, turn it, you touch it, it turns to gold. There's nothing wrong with that. Just be sure you tithe. And so there's nothing wrong with that. So the Bible here is not condemning a deacon if he has 
some means in life, sometimes that happens. But what the issue here is greed. And that is his life is set upon more and more and more. And will even stoop to dishonest means in order to gain more. So this is this situation here. People that, uh, that are addicted to wine and addicted to gain and to materialism. Alcoholism, materialism. Two dangers for any Christian. But the deacon must resist them at all costs. The deacon is not looking for what's permissible. The deacon is looking for what is productive and what sets a good example for families in our community and honors the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the temptations that he will bear. So that's the deacon's character. Now all of this really is about his character, but in particular those three areas address the deacon's character. Now look at our deacons for a moment. Do you think they qualify? If there are any of them that do not qualify, they will resign this afternoon. I promise you they will. So the deacons have to be men of character. Now, does it mean sinless? Lord God in heaven, help us. We are not sinless. Nobody's sinless. That's not what it's saying. But what we're saying is, are they striving toward this? Do you see it in their lives that they're longing for it? They're working toward it. They're moving in this direction all the time, always pursuing it with their lives. And I would say about our men, as far as I know, I would say yes, wholeheartedly yes to every one of our men that are serving as deacons. Now then, what are the deacons' convictions in verse 9? They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, the scripture says. What does that really mean? The deacon must believe the Bible. Hold the mystery of the faith. Well, uh, next week maybe we'll talk about the mystery of the faith. Um, but it is talking in, in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. We talk about great is the mystery of godliness. And it's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. And how he came as the Savior, resurrected and ascended upon high. If a deacon cannot hold that and hold what the scripture says about Jesus. They have no business being a deacon. Not only that, they probably need to get saved. You have had a deacon here once. Did not believe in the deity of Jesus. Don't worry, I took care of it. You can thank me later. Y'all got, in heaven, y'all got a lot of confessing to do. I'm going to sit there and just listen to some of y'all go, Preacher, you were right. I can't wait for that day. It's, it's coming now. So, I, But then I'll have to tell you, and you were right about some things too, right? It's going to be a good day. But until then, we'll try to get it as right as we can. And so we, out of concern for our church, we have to guard this office. People have to be doctrinally astute. Do you know what that means? They have to believe the Bible all the way through from the index to the maps. They got to believe all of it. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's inspired of God like no other book. There's no other book like the Bible. It is God's word. And so they got to believe it all. I was in a church one time and I was talking to one of the deacons and he said, 
Pastor, I'm sure glad I got this Bible with the red letters in it because the red letters are words of Jesus. I said, well, okay, that's helpful. I said, but brother, I want to tell you something. It's no more God's word than what Paul wrote. He said, I don't believe that. I said, I don't believe you'll be back next deacon's meeting. He was mad at me the rest of his life. Can you imagine? I saved that church from misery. A man was not going to believe the Bible all the way through. He had no business being a deacon. Not only that, he had no business being a member of a church. I'm no pastor either. Right? So you, you guys think that I, you, you guys think I mean, it's not being mean. Brothers and sisters, there are wolves. And they attack the flock. And they will get those who are weaker and do them in. We have to protect each other. And the pastor does carry the little shepherd's hook, you know, to rescue the little sheep. He also carries a club. Read Psalm 23. So the, he has to believe the Bible. All of our deacons believe the Bible all the way through. As a matter of fact, most of them teach. And if they don't teach every Sunday, they teach at different times. So most of them do. But they also have to behave the Bible with a clear conscience. It's one thing to be doctrinally correct. You, your deeds have to be correct as well. Your belief is right, but also your behavior has to match what you believe. And so when we say with a clear conscience, that means that they hold the gospel with a clear conscience. They're not just saying it. It's real to them. And so the deacon's convictions, they have to have a deep conviction about the truth of the Bible and that they have a deep conviction that they must live out the truth of the Bible. Men who are bound by conscience to stand firm in faith upon the word of God. That's what we're looking for. Now look at the deacon's consistency in verse 10. The Bible says, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. The deacon's consistency, he must first be tested, be tested first. Now, the word uh, tested there, I believe, has really ongoing action. So that means that there has been a history of being watched by the church. You don't take somebody that's new to your church and make them a deacon. Even if they were deacon at a different church, different congregation, I wouldn't do that. You want to take a good look at them. It may be that some church was trying to get rid of them. Right? And so they, they come on over and then you're like, well, they've been a deacon before. Not here they ain't. It's different ministry. And so you want to take a look at them. You don't take some person that just joined the church and say, well, let's make them a deacon. They're a good guy. You don't do that. They have to be tested first. Let me tell you something. It's a lot easier to fire them before you hire them. If you get my drift. Man, I fired a lot of staff members before we ever hired them. Man, it was an everlasting blessing, I'll tell you. You don't want to get people in that office and then try to pry them out of there. So you want to put up a, a, a pretty, pretty big door there that's hard for them to get through. And, and you, want to, you want to keep that narrowed down. So here they want to be first be tested, be proven. Be proven before they're promoted. This is a good thing for the church across the board. No matter what, if you're putting somebody in any ministry, make sure they're proven. 
We don't just need warm bodies. If, if all we need is warmth, we'll just get a bunch of electric blankets. We need people who are proven that you can rely on them, that you can trust them. Proven before they're promoted. Put to the test before they're put in trust. Consistency must be there in their walk with the Lord. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about progression. We need to be able to see that there is some consistency in their walk with the Lord Jesus. So let them be first tested, then enlisted, then let them serve, the scripture says. So tested first, then serve. Don't let them serve and test them while they're serving. You let them be tested first, then they can serve. This is a high office. By the way, the scripture only mentions the office of the elder pastor and also the office of deacon in the New Testament. That's it. And this is one of the two highest offices in your congregation. They represent your congregation. So you want to be sure that they are what you want them to be. Number four, look at the deacon's companion, verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Well, some people have said that this particular verse describes women deacons. Well... Friends, the word for deacon is used consistently and often in the New Testament. It's not always used in the sense of the office of a deacon. Sometimes it just talks about serving. And so in that way, it's applied to the Lord Jesus. The Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And the word there is deacon. He came to deacon and to give his life ransom for many. Sometimes the word served, that same word from which we get deacon, is applied to ladies in the church as they serve. So just because it's close to a woman's name does not mean that they're occupying the office of a deacon. As a matter of fact, the only two places in the scripture we have the office of deacon described is here and also we believe in Philippians 1.1. In Acts chapter 6, we believe that's the prototype, it's the model, but they're not called deacons there. So we don't have any records of women being fulfilling or filling the office of a deacon in the New Testament church. So this is sandwiched between descriptions about the deacon. And so to bring, the, to bring up verse 11 here must be speaking of their wives. And so the deacon's wife has some qualification. She also must be reverent, that is, dignified as well, like her husband. Have you ever seen a woman not dignified? Lord, help us. It's not pretty. Loud mouth. Going around just talking about things she ought not be talking about. Ladies, use a filter. There are things that ladies ought not say. Just don't say it. Just talking about anything and everything to anybody and everybody. Don't do that. Be dignified. And our deacon's wives, you be dignified. 
You ask yourself before you say something, is this dignified? Does it add dignity to the office of the deacon? Reserved, not slanderers, the Bible says, but sober-minded. Do you know the word slanderer is diabolos? And you know what that means, don't you? We translate that as devil a lot of times in the New Testament. The deacon must not be double-tongued and his wife must not be devil-tongued. Don't use your language and your mouth to bring harm to God's people. And you must be self-controlled. And then also reliable, faithful in all things. You can't be a deacon if your wife's not going to come to church. You can't be a deacon if your wife's not going to help serve. You can't be a deacon if she's not going to be dedicated to the congregation. You can't. It's not allowable. You don't meet the qualification because your wife doesn't meet the qualification. So you can't be. This is a serious matter. So the deacon's companion. Now what about the deacon's control? Verse 12 tells us this. The deacon let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well the deacon's control he must lead his own life well the husband of one wife is the deacon that means a one woman man it means not only has he been married and never divorced it also means that everybody knows that's the kind of man he is he's not a womanizer he doesn't chase women that's not the kind of man that he is He's a one-woman man. He's the husband of one wife. He leads a life that's led by the Spirit of God. And he provides spiritual leadership in his own family. And he provides leadership over his own life. He's a one-woman kind of man. So he leads his life well. Then he leads his loved ones well. The Bible says managing their children in their own households well. We don't need another parenting lecture, but deacons parent. Don't leave it all on your wife told my wife when we had kids and I said I'll be the big gun I'll be the bad guy so you do what you can and then when it gets to the place where you've had enough you just call me in it'll be just total land waste so it was always this way my wife would say well let's talk to your dad about it my kids were like forget it my job was to make her job easy I wanted her to enjoy being a mom and if we did it with two kids great if one of them had to go missing that's okay too we're okay with that we kept the number to child focus available told her kids call it you want you do I'm sure you could find a better home than this one go ahead and call it the second one came along I was old I'm like man please call need a break well our churches have had enough embarrassment haven't we of people in leadership not doing what they ought to do we have embarrassment enough without having deacons that don't live according to the Bible so lead your life well men lead your families well then what is the deacon's confidence in verse number 13 the Bible says, for those who serve well as deacons gain 
a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The deacon's confidence. He's confident before God. He says he gains a good standing. And that is God's approval. I'm sure there's an element here of the respect of people as well. But this is good standing before God. It's don't just fill the office, deacon. Use it to serve the Lord's church. And if you'll do that, then you will gain a good standing before the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Word, deacon. Confident in the gospel. The Bible says of him that he's also great, has great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, it's, it's interesting. Whether it's my life, yours, deacon, or our church member's life, when we're living for the Lord, we have great confidence in the gospel. When we're not living right for the Lord, it's like we're almost ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? A, a good way to kind of gauge where you are with the Lord is like, hey, how am I doing as far as my attempts to witness? When we're not walking with the Lord, we don't want to witness. We don't want to tell people about Christ. We're ashamed of the gospel almost. And so here's what we're saying is that when we're confident, when you have confidence, you're confident in the gospel, you're confident in the faith. And so respect will open the door for greater opportunity for the gospel. If you're living respectfully, then the gospel doors will become open to you. What do you do with something like this, church? Say, well, you know, this is not a Billy Graham crusade. 3,000 are not going to come to Jesus on preaching in the deacons. I don't know, maybe some of the deacons will come to Jesus. I don't know. But what, what, is this, what does this do for you? Well, here's the thing. Some of our deacons are at the mature stage in life. One of these days, the church is going to have to have some younger guys. And I think we've seen some in, in our day here that have, have come on. But the church should always have its eye open for prospective deacon families. You need to be reminded, and I need to be reminded, that there are qualifications that they must meet. Keep this in mind. Watch. Look. Think. Pray. We didn't have deacon elections this year because of COVID. That saddled me with an extra year with some of those guys. Thank you, COVID. So some of our guys uh, have agreed, hey, everybody, all of our deacons agreed, hey, just tack a year on and we'll get through this. And so, but we're going to, we'll have deacon nominations next spring. And so you need to be thinking through that, church. Are there guys that need to be serving that are not serving yet? And not just the men, but their families. Every one of our deacons, their wives help them with that ministry. There are things that only the women can do in that deacon ministry, by the way. And so you want to look at the whole family. And so I want to encourage you in that way. If you make a mistake in this, it's a terrible mistake. Believe me, it is awful. It's bad for the church, and it's terrible for the pastor. So you don't want to mess this up. This is serious business. And so I want to encourage you to take what the Scripture says and begin to look and begin to pray. And let's nominate some more deacons this coming spring. Okay? Be in prayer about that. Secondly, be in prayer for the deacons that we do have. You have no idea what they have to put up with dealing with me. And so you want to pray for them. 
They minister in our community. They minister to our people. They minister to our people when our people are not at their best, by the way. They don't get a lot of the ministry where it's easy. They get hard stuff. Yesterday, I went and um, did a funeral. It was two and a half hours from here. Of one of our church members, Mary Kay, that died and went to be with Jesus. And I went to do that funeral. And uh, small, small crowds, you know, that attend funerals these days, of course. And, but I looked up and one of our deacons was sitting there in the back row. Came all that way just to be there for one of, because one of our widows had died. And so, you know, our deacons work and they minister. I want you to be in prayer for them and uh, thank God for them. And be in prayer for their families. Encourage them. You know, it occurred to me that we have Pastor Appreciation Month, which that would be this month, by the way. Not that I'm trying to remind you. But we don't have a Deacon Appreciation Month, do we? Maybe we need to pick one. And uh, maybe we need to have something for deacons sometimes just to show them we love them. They minister to you and they put a lot of hours in. And so um, it's not that you owe them that, but I think it would be an encouragement to them. So maybe we'll come up with something on that. Okay? So I want you to do that. Then finally this. Our deacons are excited about the gospel. And they try to witness and tell people about Christ. If you have never started following Jesus, then you need to do that today. What, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting on a better day? A better day may not come. The scripture says do not boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow brings forth. You know, I always realize every Sunday I get in here to preach, it may be my last one. All God has to do is take my voice and I'm finished. Right? It's a fragile thing. Your life is fragile. My life is fragile. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. That's why the scripture says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart as the children of Israel did in the wilderness. And so today is the day of salvation. You say, what, what, do I, what do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to give up your life of living without Christ as the center of it. You see, every person comes into this world living with life, life this way, with themselves as the center. The very controlling force, the very point, the very purpose of their life is themselves. Every one of us are that way. It's called sin. It's the sin nature in us. It's not just sin actions that we commit. It's the very nature that we are. And we defy God. We just tell God, we don't want you there. We may God, give God a little bit of polite belief. Okay, God, you can come in during Christmas time. We'll go with that. But the rest of the time, don't bother me. And so we live our lives on our own terms. It's sin. The Bible says that the wages of that is death. You'll be separated from God forever. That's how you're not in relationship with God. That's what keeps you separated from Him. Something has to be done about that rebellion because God is also a judge and he must judge sin. He says the wages of sin, the sentence upon sin is death. And so the death sentence must come upon your sin. Every treasonous traitor against God must die. And it's the kind of death in which you exist forever in a place called hell. It's like eternal death. That's what it is. And that's the just penalty for every one of us that turn against such a good God and refuse Him. But He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross in the place of sinners. And not only was He hanging there in physical agony, at the very same moment He was also experiencing the judgment of God 
from heaven upon him in the place of all of those whom he would save. And so your judgment, if you come to Jesus, was put upon him upon the cross. Now, if you won't come to Jesus, that judgment upon the cross was not yours. You'll get to experience your own judgment. But he died in the place of sinners. And if you'll trust in him, that transaction on the cross in your place, just put all your eggs in that basket. Just completely give yourself over to that. Trust in Christ completely and totally that he did that for you. And if you'll believe that he rose from the dead and that now he'll lead your life. Before you were leading it, now he'll lead your life. And if you'll just give your life over to him, the Bible says whoever believes upon him in that way will be saved. You'll be rescued from the wrath to come. Why would you not get in that relationship with Jesus on those terms today? You know, you, 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 you get in a marriage relationship, there are terms, aren't there? Forsaking all others, in sickness and health, till death do us part. There are terms for that marriage relationship. There are terms for the relationship with Jesus, and I just gave them to you. You have to come on his terms. If you want Christ on his terms, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and we'll sing a song here in just a second. We call it an invitation song. I'll be right here waiting on you. And so you come and say, Pastor, I'm ready to follow Christ now. I need to be saved, and I want to follow Christ. And so we'll help you know, explain to you exactly what you need to know and how to do it. There are others of you that are here, and you need to make it public. It's your follower of Christ. Maybe you trusted Christ somewhere else. There are others of you that are here that you need to join the church. You need to make that public. You want to be a church member. And so you need to come as well. And so while Pastor Dan, he's coming, and while we're singing, I want to encourage you and invite you to respond to the Lord in that way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction that you give to us so that we won't mess up. Father, some of these things seem very simple, very straightforward. And yet, Lord, we ignore them to our own peril. Help us not to do that. Father, work in our lives by the power of the Spirit of God that we would work with you to maintain our church and grow it into purity and obedience and doctrine and faith. Father, I pray for our deacons that are here today. Lord, and I pray for your blessing to be upon them, the work and power of the Spirit, that they'd be like Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray also for those whose hearts need to come to Christ today. Lord, would you stir in their lives, make them miserable, staying like they are, and let them see the joy and the wonder of Jesus and the great value and treasure that he is. And may they give their hearts over to him today. And I pray that in Jesus' name.